If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Today's guest on the podcast is Meta Dyerberg. She is the founder of My Me. I got to spend some time with her at her place in Brooklyn. If you listen closely, you'll hear the honking cars and ice cream trucks in the background. Meta grew up in Denmark, and by the age of 14, she realized she was having a health issue, which was later diagnosed as an autoimmune disease. At first, she didn't know where to turn. Her condition worsened through her 20s as she started gaining weight rapidly. She started working with a nutritionist and a trainer and was down to a strict 1,200-calorie-a-day diet and still saw no weight change. She sought help in New York and was led to see a team at UCLA because it was believed that she had a cardiac condition. In her early 30s, she was still struggling and flying back and forth between coasts in the U.S. and back to Denmark. While her doctors were happy with her numbers, she knew she was not getting better. Being an economist with an obsession for numbers, she started looking into the data, looking for patterns between what she was doing and her symptoms. With this, she was able to take an Excel spreadsheet back to her doctors and give them the evidence to prove that she wasn't a cardiac patient, which she had already suspected. This started her down a new path of recovery. She's been off medication now for six years and has developed a new way of helping people caught up in similar struggles. She is now five years into the development of MyMe, combining a self-tracking, customizable patient app, patient monitoring, and health coaching. She has also come up with a brilliant idea as a payee to ensure that marginalized groups are able to receive this kind of support in the management and recovery from autoimmune conditions. I'm so excited about the work she's doing and so happy she took the time to meet with me. Here's my conversation with Meta Dyerberg. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's Thank taken you for us. Me. Yes, it's taken us a while to get this to finally happen. <laughs> That's the travel bug. We're, we're both very busy. Yeah. Um, so. The name of your product right now, your your company is My Me. Yeah. So the idea is that it mimes you. Mm. Uh, the reason for that name was because when we originally set out on this journey, we wanted to make what I call Tamagotchi Health. Mm. So you know how the Japanese had that little egg that yeah, they were yeah. caring for. So instead of caring for a plastic egg, you'd be caring for your own health but in that same manner. Oh, so, I like that a lot. Um, we're not there yet, uh, but that was the reason why we chose an, a Japanese-inspired name. Um, the reason for miming, of miming yourself was because as I went through my own disease um, and trying to solve it the, through the, the regular means, which was buying books that had you know, your disease labels on the front and trying to replicate them, um, one of the things that became very clear was that there was not one solution fits all yeah. and that you really have to look at yourself as an individual and and kind of mime what that is and that's 
the the core of where our name comes from. Yeah. So can you tell tell me and and listeners a little bit about your journey because it's fa- it's still fascinating and I feel like I know a lot about it but you know the the how it started wh- at what point in your life you kind of realized that there was a change that had gone on? Yeah. So I when I was 14 I got my first autoimmune condition so it was clear early on that there was something going on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was until much later, like through my teens, I, of course, had obstacles, but it wasn't something that I really thought about as being sick. Where Um, where were you living at the time? I'm from Denmark. So I grew up in Denmark, small city, oldest town in Denmark. Called? Boutique city um, (laughs) style with cobblestones called Ribe. Okay. Um, And... um, and basically kind of huddled my way through my teens and then once I entered my 20s, it was abundantly clear to everyone that there was something off. Mm. Um, I had uh, started gaining weight really rapidly um, and the agency that I worked for hired like a nutritionist and a boxing trainer and you know the nutritionist basically gave me a 2000 calorie diet and then when I didn't lose weight put it to 18 15 and when I wasn't losing weight at 1200 calories I got fired for cheating and what was the agency for so I was modeling okay but it was one of the things that came out of that was not oh there's something flawed with the system there was some wrong with me yeah obviously um and i had a similar feeling trying to replicate you know results of people who had written books and i've often thought about it like you know jesus was a really good evangelist yeah and some people are really good at getting getting their message out there and they have valid reason for it because they had a problem they helped themselves and now they are out there evangelizing that as the end all be all but we're all different and whatever works for you might not work yeah. for the next yeah. person. So for me, a huge part of my journey is really the no one size fits all. Yeah. Um, I believe one of the biggest problems with autoimmune conditions, which is what I collected through the latter part of my 20s, is really that we start feeling not like ourselves. Yeah. And I think the example I gave you is your doctors start questioning it and kind of letting you know it could be all in your head and and that's okay too but it's like bicycling downhill feeling like there's no air in one of your tires it's not something that you imagine it's it feels pretty real and the the way that i try to describe it to people when because many times people have come to me after going through a lot of this testing and they get labeled idiopathic or whatever you know and which basically means they don't know which would be better i think to just hear i don't know But a lot better. But 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 so when people say they they everybody thinks it's in in my head, I say you know I, I try to turn that around and say it's in your nervous system. Yeah. You know it's 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 in your brain. It's not in your head. It's in your brain. And I think yeah. that's a that's a, a a big difference. And I actually think that some doctors even are thinking this. They're just not explaining it well enough. It's true. I w- I went to see psychiatrist in my <laughs> early twenties. T- literally seeking out hypochondriac because Mm. I would have taken it with pleasure (laughs) because I just needed to know I wasn't crazy. And it's actually only, so I've been completely healthy and off drugs for six years now. And it's only in the last year or so that I'm starting to really understand the ramifications of five years of undiagnosed, what that really entails 
And one of the things that I'm like retraining or re like, it's like exercising a muscle is intuition. Like yeah. I used to be a very intuitive person. I followed my intuition in most things in life. But once you start questioning whether you're crazy, you also start kind of uh, questioning whether your intuition is something that you should lead by. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's a muscle that when, when not trained, kind of uh, becomes weaker. Absolutely. So it's definitely something that I've had to kind of backtrack a little bit to kind of refine that that part of it but um, it's funny because when i saw when i saw the name it's how is it spelled again your my m-y-m-e-e so the the way that i interpreted that was like and this this has come from the the work that i think i've done through through craniosacral work but also the things that kind of come through sessions with people where there's there's this fuzzy area after a while where i had had this poet that i treated one point and she said I, I couldn't at, like I was in the middle of the session and I was like very physical feeling at some point and then I just I, I started to disassociate and I felt like I was hovering above my body and I didn't I couldn't tell which part was the me. That makes a lot of sense. And 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 this this idea of the intuition and you know that that the consciousness is is all connected with that and that's that's that was that was the way I was thinking about it. It it, it is kind of. You know, there's the miming part of it, right? But there's, yeah. but there is the part that's, you know, what, what is my, what yeah. is my me? It's kind of interesting because our tagline is "Know Myself," mm. and everybody yeah. looks at it and goes, "Oh, it's Know Thyself." I'm like, uh, don't you think we thought about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> no, the the journey I think to health is to really understand yourself. Yeah. And I think there's many different layers of that journey. Yeah. Um, I think from for me personally, I, you know, after having been sick for about ten years, my doctor's team told me that they had great news, and then proceeded to tell me that I wasn't going to die in the immediate future. There's quite a lot of things That's wrong comforting. with that sentence, <laughs> um, but one of them being that being overly optimistic by nature had kind of made, made me miss the point that how dire the situation really yeah, was. Yeah. So my response was actually, that's fine. What's the great news? And it kind of got exceedingly awkward from that oh, moment yeah, onwards. Sure. <laughs> um, I, in my head, kind of had this, you know, if I went to the advisory board of the company I work for and I tell them we're not going to go bankrupt in the immediate future, I don't have a job. <laughs> so my question back to the doctor was, <clears throat> what are we going to do about my process? Yeah. And he said, well, we're happy with your numbers. And I think a part of this geeky journey that I've been on comes down to the fact that I'm an economist. Yeah. I'm autistic with numbers. And he could probably have told me 20 things where I would have said, thank you, doctor, and I would have been back the next month. Yeah. But numbers was just not one of them. It was simply unacceptable. And I kind of saw years of data kind of like in a flash by. And I was like, I might not die in the immediate future, but I'm not going to live a long, healthy life, yeah. whatever that entails. Yeah. Um, and I basically was a disempowered patient, not knowing where to turn. I would love to say, oh, I went home and I decided to fix myself. At, at what point was this? At, where, at what point in your life? So this was in my early 30s. Okay. Um, I, where, and where were you? I was in New York. The doctor's team was at UCLA. So okay. I think it's very, it's fairly... Uh, so were you traveling across country to do this? Or? Yeah, I think what happens with people when they get sick is that they, at least I did, um, you decide 
that if you have the best people and the best resources, then you have a better shot. So I had a cardiac team at UCLA. I had doctors in New York. I even had Danish doctors. Um, I thought I had my bases covered. (laughs) I would go to Norway if somebody told me that that was where the next doctor... Were uh, Were they collaborating at all? Uh, no, this was this was pre everything. It was like it was like even the journaling that I did was in a notebook, and I yeah. was then transferred into Excel spreadsheets. And only because I had never done any you know logging really before that, when you don't know anything about calories or you know micronutrients or anything, yeah. you have to look everything up. Yeah. And by looking things up, you start noticing patterns. And that was actually the initial idea was just. A very easy, like super simple homemade algorithm to look at the correlation between what am I doing and what are my symptoms. Is, is, was this all your idea? Yeah, this was just, it, it really wasn't something that I even considered a resolution at the time. Yeah. But when I five months later went back to my doctor's team and could prove that I wasn't a cardiac patient, it became very clear to me that, you know, even though it was a non medical person with an Excel spreadsheet, there was some value in understanding how the system overall worked that was missed by the doctors and not because the doctors weren't well-meaning or wanting to solve your problem, but simply because nobody has the time in a doctor's visits to understand what happened in those three months since they saw you last. So I think for me, it really came down to understanding the life style component i mm-hmm. i nowadays I, I say you know blood work might give you an idea of what is wrong yeah but it doesn't tell us anything about the environment that produces yeah. that condition yeah i am interested in the environment i'm interested in why is it that this person is getting sick despite trying these hundred different things mm-hmm. and what oftentimes end up happening is that they've been given so many different rules and almost like the more doctors and the more specialists you see, the more conflicting advice oh, you're yeah. given. I see that and all the time. Yeah, exactly. And you're cheating intermediately on all these different rules because you don't really know what's working. Yeah. So you are doing all the hard work, but you're getting none of the upside. And, and the intuition part that you were talking about earlier. You, you start you, overruling it. Yeah. You, you, you start not trusting your yeah. own instinct. Yeah. Because, yeah, and also, you know, you're, you're dealing with something which could have... A, a pretty significant timeline in terms of like ridding your body of inflammation, say, I mean, that can be one of those things that can take, you know, you, you, you should, I mean, I think with, within a period of time, if you, if you make a 10, 15% change in, in these things, th- there'll be some markers. They might not come back in, in the numbers or in blood work. They might just be in, in other things, which is why I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you guys are like, in, including coaching as part of this and, and that, they have someone that they're actually going to be able to talk to because there's a lot of information. Like when I, when I see somebody come in who's chronic, who's in chronic pain, they may still be telling me that their number is a 10, right? But I see on their face something totally different. And so, but, but it takes a while before someone starts to like really, you know, feel like I can get out of this dark place. It's actually interesting because we were doing a chronic pain study with Cornell University and uh, one of the examples that made them smile was that when we're talking pain, they have a lot of, you know, qualification schedules. Mm-hmm. You cross out a lot of things and they're probably super precise. Um, but the way that we look at it is as a human being, 
you know, what is pain and what is pain levels. Yeah. If you're having a really good day, it might not be a 10, it might be an eight. Yeah. If you're having a shitty day, even if it was a five at noon, it's a yeah. 10 by the time he sees you. Yeah. So what we try and do is we try and actually identify pain um, as a discrete measure. So let's say you have arthritis and you're always in pain. Well, if you love your dog Lulu, mm-hmm. you might only walk Lulu on the days where you have less pain. So by tracking your dog walks, which is actually a, an activity mm-hmm. and something that's a very different thing from getting down the rabbit hole of yeah, I'm like in a lot idea. of pain, I'll track it. And at the end of the day, when I see how much pain I was in, I'm not feeling better, I'm feeling worse. Yeah. You're actually able to derive data and create an awareness. And I think the awareness around particularly pain yeah. is, is huge. Yeah, or or just any any kind of discomfort. I mean, yeah. it be, because it becomes it becomes your your hyper focus to get rid of, yeah. and so it just becomes your focus. Like yeah. that's that's all that's there sometimes, yeah. and so it's hard it's hard not to pay attention to it. Even even I mean, I, I find a lot of people just develop this. It's it's like a, like a type of PTSD almost. Yeah. Even at, and I and I went through this myself with back pain. Yeah. Even after it's gone just the hint of it starts to like bring you back yeah. into like, Oh shit, this is going to you know take me back into this thing again. You, I think you hear it all the time. You're like, you, you hear people almost go, you clear them of something and they go, oh, does this mean I'm crazy? Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's like, it's like a flash straight back to where they were. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting about pain is that people oftentimes make a lot of compensation and they're not aware of it. So it's like their day now is all of the things that they used to do and then all of the things that they do not to feel the pain or preempt yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I was ill, I, I, I literally could not walk up a flight of stairs without ponting for air. And the showroom that we had at work was this huge staircase. And I could not walk up with clients and actually talk like, Never mind, halfway up. Yeah. So I actually broke it into three sections and I found like a little story that I could kind of <laughs> stop people and kind of tell them. And then I could take the next third of the way. And, and that was how I managed that thing. Yeah. So as a part of, you know, the health coaching today is really understanding and getting people to understand where is it that you are compensating? And uh, my best example, and I keep telling this as like an old record, but it was a woman with MS who, when asked when she got up in the morning, she said 7.15 when I get my kids out of bed. And it didn't matter how many different ways she was asked, it was always 7.15. And the, the, the reason that it, it was, you know, something that you keep going back to is because nobody gets somebody else out of bed. Like you, right. you have to either get yourself out of bed or do something yeah. before you get somebody else out of bed. So randomly in the conversation I said oh by the way what what's your what what time is your alarm clock set for and she goes oh five continue talking about and afterwards I said oh let's just go back because you have two hours and 15 minutes unaccounted for what do you do in the morning and she goes oh it's just if I have a bad day I need that extra time I was like okay so as walking through that I said what else do you do to preempt that bad day She's like, oh, nothing. And needless to say, an hour later, we had like a whole schedule of things that she'd do. And one of the things was that she'd put out two sets of clothing the night before, one that she would like to wear and one that she could wear if she was too weak to button up and do the things that she'd like to. 
And with her, we actually, for the first month, just tracked whether she was wearing her number one or number two outfit. Mm. Because it's a discreet measure. Yeah. Even at five o'clock in the afternoon, you're still wearing it. So it's not something that is, you know, sensible. But at the same time, at the end of the month, when she was asked, how many bad days do you anticipate you had? She said 12 to 13. And the data said two. Yeah. And she was shocked. Yeah. And the one thing we knew was that sleep correlates highly with MS. And she was robbing herself for 60 hours and of so sleep. Many, so many different conditions. I exactly. Mean, it's, it's the same. So it's like one of those things where you're like robbing yourself of 60 hours of sleep. It would have been better to just stay at home for those two days. Yeah. And I think changing the perspective and actually allowing people to start relaxing and, and living their lives yeah. is a huge part of what I... I guess if we should define health is health to me. It's when you don't have to worry about it at every different corner throughout the day, yeah. but it's something that's there and that you have control over again. Yeah. Yeah. The control piece is huge. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's where I, I'm, I'm always trying to kind of lift people to a point where, and when they first come to me, a lot of times they're, they're in a place where they definitely need handholding. They need yeah. me to really guide them that early part. But then, I, you know, as soon as I possibly can, I start lifting them to empower them with little, yeah. little things so that they have a tool here and they have a tool here. And, and like things like you're saying, that's those those are great because they, they really are just awarenesses. Yeah. And if you can and if you can shift those things, we, we don't realize that they become they, there's so many things that become patterned, yeah. you know, and we, we don't even realize. And it's interesting because you used that earlier, too, that. You're maybe like a natural in the in the health world. <laughs> I feel like that's what all the good people in health that I know they're really always ob observant of these patterns that happen and being able to sort of like figure that out. It's it's there's there's not a one size fits all, but the patterns are very important to yeah. sort of be mindful of. And that's why that's why we turn to technology because there's a lot of fantastic yeah. practitioners out there that's doing amazing jobs, but. The reality is that with all of these different things going on in people's life, you know, what is the correlation? What is the pattern? And how do you tease it out? So timestamps, the fact that you're actually mm -hmm. logging something as it happens allows us from an algorithmic point of view to look over someone's life and actually say, well, every incident of IBS is three hours and 10 minutes after Diet Coke. Yeah, That is very different from saying oh, you should not drink Diet Coke because it's bad for you. Right. And here's like 20 articles that show <clears throat> right. you it's bad for you because yeah. it doesn't actually relate to that person. But once it becomes personal, you, in general, what we try to do is always make sure that you don't do any of the false positives. So you identify something, you take it out, people get better. And then you, what I used to call relapsing, but I've been told it should be called a reintroduction to be politically correct. You reintroduce it because you want to see that, hey, once you start doing it again, your symptom is going to come back. Yeah. And the reason for that reintroduction piece of the puzzle is that our brains are unfortunately or fortunately wired in such a way yeah. that if I just help you get better and send you back out into the street, you're like, I'm good. And then you start sliding back into your old behaviors. And I think for me, the biggest component of this is not the 
the the small you know the blood work or the micronutrients or those pieces it's the behavioral component yeah. the behavioral component is really where um i think we as a society have the biggest challenge yeah. um and especially as people are getting pressured more and more um the later in life they come yeah and we and i think we i mean i i'm always i'm always a little bit baffled by this of of, of how we think we're going to save money by just sticking to the the numbers diagnosis and medication as a form of treatment without this other component that you're talking about but without dealing with the behavioral aspect of it and then really getting that patterned in long enough that this person actually goes through a change because as you were talking about data and and, and thinking about like uh, technology as a tool you know part of me is resistant to to that and mostly just because like i i feel like it's it's a restriction on my life yeah. to have to deal with that but if i was in a if i was in a specific place and i have been in this specific place before where i haven't been able to get an answer i would look to something like that as a way of getting information yeah. and i would use it for as long as i felt like i needed to and and then then i'd want to dump it for sure but but but, but that's the whole point for me is yeah when people say, oh, Meta owns a technology company, it always rings a little wrong to yeah. me. Because really, we're not about the technology. The technology is a vehicle yeah. to be able to do the, the, the work that needs to be done, so to speak. Yeah. And I think um, that's why we call it the mirroring. It's, it's, it's only an intervention. Yeah. Like if you have you know, an appendix, you go into the hospital, you have it removed and you leave the hospital. It's, it's similarly like you have a problem and through the, the, the tracking or the, the process, you identify what the triggers are. You remove the root cause. And at that point you stop tracking. It's not meant to be a lifelong tracking. It is, it is an intervention. Yeah, so so take us through what what you're. So right now you're just you're just working with lupus. Yes. So, and and maybe for for people out there listening, what is lupus? Yeah. Just they're un, unsure. But then take us through what is what a process is for somebody once they come to you, and what their you know what their program would look like. Yeah. So so just to be clear, I we've we've worked with a lot of different autoimmune diseases over the yeah. years, and we've just only actually from a business perspective, kind of honed in on lupus. And the reason that we did it more than anything was because people with lupus seems to be the ones that are perceived as being the craziest. Um, And I believe the reason is that their inflammation levels is just that much higher. Uh, We actually see once you, once you see, you know, people actually um, identify their triggers and reverse their disease symptoms that they change personality. Like mm-hmm. you almost see them calm down in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so for someone like me who felt like it was all in my head for, you know, the, the first half of my 20s, it was very important that we took a group, a subset that was women that were... In this case, lupus uh, hits 90% women and mm. um, primarily Hispanic and black uh, backgrounds, okay. which means it's it's already a vulnerable group. Yeah. But on top of that, they're also the ones that are most likely to be sent away when they go to a hospital. Mm. Um, then once they get the diagnosis, 
the 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 drug escalation is much higher on lupus than than other autoimmune conditions. So for me, it was almost like if we can save somebody, let's at least try and make it somebody that has been hit the hardest. Yeah. And that's why lupus was what 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 we chose. Okay. Um, I think. And what in t- what is what is lupus? What, what what are the symptoms and what are the? So lupus is like any other autoimmune condition uh, where your immune system attacks healthy cells, but where the difference is for lupus patients is that it attacks your organs. Mm. So I think they say the average is between three to five years after diagnosis, you stop working. You oh, know the route is is pretty, pretty fast. fast. Um, you see people in their 30s and 40s dying from lung complications or you know heart complications mm-hmm. and so on. Um, kidney failure is not uneasy. So it's 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 they it's a very vulnerable group from many points. And I think the way that our system is set out, it's you know you you almost have this knowledge that when you have complex problems, there must be a very complex solution. Yeah. And I almost feel like particularly with this subset of patients, is not the case. We actually very often find that there's two triggers that once removed or added, depending on what it is, um, people flourish in front of you. And that has, I think, been the most um, intriguing part about this journey is that everybody is different and that really by identifying the triggers. Initially, I remember having, you know, a husband of somebody call and say, my wife has lupus, and they would talk to me for half an hour, an hour. And then when I had given them an example of, let's say, somebody who was, you know, had their trigger be nightshades, they were like, thank you very much, I'll talk to my wife. And it was clear as day that they were going to go home and just eliminate nightshade. But the thing is that when we do beta testing, let's say on 20 patients, we actually have... 20 different interventions so and it makes sense right because even if you had an identical twin brother who had the same genetic makeup as you if you lived in different cities and you're married to different people and you had different you know circumstances you'd be eating at different times you'd have different habits yeah Yeah, there's so many variables so many variables so i think the one thing that is uh, very clear is that you have to hone in and and more than anything, go after the low-hanging fruits. Yeah. Um, and I think so often do you see people um, that are trying so hard on so many different fronts that they're unable to actually even keep up. And then you can kind of simplify. Yeah. And, you know, my COO, um, as a part of the validation before he gave up his high-paying job and decided to go in <laughs> all in on this company... <laughs> He gave me some patients um, to sort of fix. And one of them was his aunt, who had four different autoimmune conditions, who had pain every day, who had been living in that for years. And she had about 100 different dietary restrictions yeah. that she could think of. Yeah. Um, but like I said earlier, she was kind of intermittently cheating on all of them. Yeah. And we ended up figuring out that there was two hard rules and two soft rules. And if she stuck to those two hard rules, she literally in six weeks went from having pain every single day to not having pain. And that's a power that I would not even before having seen it on my own body and having seen it replicated time after time again, 
thought was possible because yeah. I think we grow up thinking that if you get sick, you need a pill. Yeah. There needs to be an intervention. And I think food as medicine is becoming an intervention, yeah. but it's not something that we grew up thinking were a way to heal ourselves. Yeah, and and it's and it is really the the only medicine when it comes right down to it, long term. Yeah, and that's I think that's that's what's been lost. But I, but that, I love the idea of this of the the low hanging fruit because I I I big believer in that myself, in that. And, and I and a lot of times when I get someone who's you know pretty far along or who's who's been to you know they have twenty doctors on their team or whatever, yeah. I I'm looking for something that might be missed in the way that they're looking at something, and just finding finding some little window in where I can make a five or ten percent change just to give that and and it's amazing what that initial boost that little that little boost what what they 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 start getting some confidence in in this yeah. sense that they can actually heal themselves and, yeah. and and that's where another another piece where that I'm really finding it's it just keeps coming up through the podcast right now is is this this idea of of health is is, is a belief system and that's what we're interacting with 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 people a lot of times is can we change that that belief system yeah. that they have for themselves it's a big question, right? Um, I was working with a client, interestingly enough, the first client I've ever worked with who dropped out of the program. Uh, she's a psych major. <laughs> so you'd have imagined that, you know, there would be a retention just from that. Um, and it was very, very clear what her trigger were uh, from very early on. And um, as we had the conversations around her trigger, it became very clear that she was unable to wrap her head around um, the change. So she basically would say things like, okay, now at least I know why my hands swell up. Like her hands mm -hmm. would swell up to the point of she was unable to use them. And I said, well, no, 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 you're supposed to not eat it. And she goes, well, I'm also not supposed to drink alcohol, but sometimes I do and I get a hangover, but I anticipate it. And I said, but... Like, I'm not going to be able to help you reverse your autoimmune symptoms if, if you don't actually adhere to the things <laughs> right. that we can see that is making yeah. you sick. And, and it was really a lot of forth and back. And it was only at a point when I realized that I was taking it from the... I had not been listening. I had seen what I considered severe problems and not listened to where she was. And the minute that I brought in energy she was like oh this could help on my energy level and i said of, of course she goes oh yeah because there's nothing i can do for that i can take ibuprofen for my hands but i can't i haven't figured out anything that i can mm -hmm. do for my energy level yeah and it, it says something about how much of it is between your ears in the sense that she obviously was not in a place where she was willing to to really make that jump and and believe that she could change something, and it's sort of like we, we we don't want to give up anything, no, but we want to gain something. So yeah. if you focus on what the gain is, yeah. it's a it's an easier sell, right? It's definitely. Uh, I think I think the willpower hacking is uh, is where <laughs> we are going to be, you know, having our big uh, our big struggles going forward. Yeah, because we also live in a society where we want it all. Yeah. 
like we want to have careers till we are 45 and then we want kids and you know yeah. don't understand why our ovaries are not like a 25 year old and like there's all these and then we don't have the energy for the baby anymore <laughs> like please take it away no but it's like um it's it's an interesting journey and i think one of the things that that is very clear is um people's need to have control um, almost uh, is counterproductive yeah. when it comes to their own health because anyone who's sick knows that you literally could go down and see your you know, supermarket cashier and they will have a good advice for you about mm -hmm. how you could change this. So if you've been sick for a few years um, and have a few diagnoses and a few specialists and so on, the amount of good advice, well-meaning advice that you now have to remember and adhere to because becomes so overwhelming that it's quite often that, like you said, you, you find that window into things that are so obvious but completely lost yeah. in the amount of noise. Yeah. And I think with anything, if you can decipher the actual problem out of all the noise... Um, and that's what the technology is really used for is yeah. really not not so much for anything else but kind of like guidance as to what is either uh, out of out of not out of order but like sometimes that's also the case but more like unexpected or like we are really more than anything is looking for dissonance yeah so if if somebody has let's say a bowel movement Monday through Friday, but they don't have it on Saturday and Sunday. Like, what are you doing on weekends? Yeah. I might not have any data on what it could be, yeah. but I see something in the data that allows me to ask a question so that we can unravel what could it be. Yeah. And I think for us, we've landed on this combination of active tracking and health coaching. Um, and the reason is that we believe that creating a, we call it pay attention technology but really more than anything paying attention gives awareness mm -hmm. and i think the awareness combined with an interaction with somebody else is how we we can create the results um, but we need the data to understand the correlations and be able to pinpoint the triggers. And, and where do you think their awareness is coming from? Is, is, it, is it from the, the tracking? Uh, I mean, is, the, is it stuff that they're having to write down? Is it the, is it the meeting with you with the data? or how, what, what it... So there's a lot of it that comes down to having the data reflected back to you. Like the first thing that people see when they say that, like see their first data is, oh my God. And yeah. then it is followed by, do I drink that much coffee? Do I not yeah. eat any greens? Do I not sleep? Like whatever it is that we're looking at. Yeah. Most people have what I call like a doppelganger. Yeah. We kind of think we know how we yeah, live. Yeah, sure. And then there's like this other thing next to us that's kind of doing all these, you know, other things that we thought was kind of um, exceptions. But it just seems like that exception of, let's say, coffee or whatever just snug in there like six times every day this past yeah. week. And how, um, how, like what, at what point do you meet with them to go over that? Like how long do you track for it? Yeah. So the, the, the program is a 12 week program. Okay. Um, the first five days we basically just get a baseline. Hmm. Um, but more so it's also a way to teach people a new habit. Yeah. And 
letting like we ask everybody to take a picture of everything they eat for five days and that alone can be a struggle for some people yeah. well, my, uh, my, I, my, my phone ran out of memory I couldn't I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't shoot the weekend at all <laughs> so you know the first thing is really just having people take a picture and some people come after those five days having not thought for one second about what they snap photos of and mm. other people come in after five days and they're already like I feel that my Crohn's is heavily related to gluten and strawberries uh. or whatever. So, you know, the, as, as you know more than anything, it's like every single person is so different, both in terms of personality and style yeah. and all sorts of things. But that's where we start. And that's when you have what we call the onboarding. The onboarding is a very loose structured hour with a health coach where you really want to get a good grasp of when was it you started feeling off. Yeah. And I'm saying feeling off because it really is not necessarily when was you diagnosed. Right. Most people, you know, go five, ten years before they got diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but trying to understand, was it like a life event? Was it like I had one woman who told me that she had been on crutches at the age of like eight with inflammation around or water retention in her pelvis. Mm -hmm. And in that case, there's like a hundred questions I don't need to ask her because it's clearly dietary related yeah. and there's an inflammation. And when you're 42 and you can say that you had it at eight, you know that you've been doing something wrong for 34 right. years. <laughs> yeah. So clearly, once you figure that out, you're going to be able to reestablish the balance in the body that is going to have a profound effect fast. Yeah. So w what we try and do is stabilize at first, but really also spend probably to to the regular system uh, a lot of time on the on the symptoms really understanding what symptoms make sense to track mm -hmm. um, because most people who've been sick for a very long time when you say so what symptoms could you track it's it's almost like you get the hundred you know rule again it's like yeah. they have fatigue they have foot pain they have this pain they have that pain and then if they turn around like like all of that is way too much mm -hmm. so you need to kind of have a funnel and a hone in and then figure out like what is these two three things that are markers that change enough that it gives you information like you can't use anything that happens once a year for anything yeah. but if it's chronic or constant You can't use it for anything either. So yeah. it's like finding these things that could be a sign of inflammation or could be a sign of something that we can actually then track back into the yeah. data. Um, and so once you have stabilized, and by stabilization, it's, it's typically, as you know, it's like everybody's got a shot. Yeah. So if you've been constipated since 82, I'm clearly not going to try and find a trigger. I'm just going to get you out of that mode yeah. of a random yeah. first. Yeah. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing. So I think one of the really important parts is kind of looking at it as a staircase. And for some people, it's very clear that they're either, you know, like a dashboard diner, like they have every single meal on the dashboard of their car because yeah. it's from a fast food chain. Yeah. And other people come in and they're eating quinoa and kale And, you know, a treat to them would be like two dates on a Saturday night. And you're looking at it and you're like, wow, you've really gotten restricted. But yeah. for, for both people kind of goes the same thing, which is it's not working. Yeah. 
Yeah, like it doesn't right. matter whether you are oblivion to what it could be or if you are in that like almost overly healthy diet you you're still working up against something that you don't understand yeah. so for us it's really deciphering how do you and with the guy who's have you know three fast food meals a day if you told him about the benefits of kale you could talk from now till Christmas. It was not going to change right. anything. Yeah. So in that case, it's about saying, okay, fine, this is where we are. And then you figure out how do I implement one thing at a time so that I can actually move this person from this place to another place seamlessly. And I think that's where I remember the economist once called, they wanted to do an article and the journalist was nice enough to call me back and he said, well, the guy that you asked me to call, he said that you didn't do much. And I said, really? <laughs> and I said, oh, that's interesting. And also a really bad reference, obviously. <laughs> and then I called the client back and I said, you know, it was a pretty big deal for us. And, you know, <laughs> oh, you no. were really, really sick and you became healthy in, you know, less than 10 weeks. So I was just curious as to did it not did it not feel like it's helped you over the yeah. long term? Like, have you relapsed back? Or he's like, no, I'm like, I have so much energy. I'm like in a fantastic space. And I'm like, so why, why did you say that we didn't do much? And he said, well, I couldn't really remember what we did. It just didn't feel like we did that much. And in reality, that's the brilliance of this is you actually want people to land scenario. there. You want to land them there where yeah. they're like, oh, I didn't, do that yeah. much but in reality you know the the things that this man actually did yeah. and incorporated was pretty uh, dramatic did the article ever get written with the economist we weren't included or you weren't <laughs> it's kind of interesting because it was uh it was a very good article but it, it just didn't include us we uh, uh. we were chosen because um we were a part of the quantify itself movement and it had some high heydays where everybody in the world was interested in quantified self and this self-knowledge through numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long, as much how long as, ago was this? Um, so this was, you know, probably our, our first year in, so like five years ago yeah. or something like this. It's kind of the beginning Four of, I mean, I, I was, you know, I had, I had started a, a business with a couple of the people who were trainers too. And, and one of the trainers was, it was the beginning of like the Fitbit type technology. Yeah. There were other companies before them, but, yeah. um, he was really into like analyzing this data and he was of course drawing, yeah. you know, the, the, the clientele who was really interested in looking at data too. It was so interesting. So for the, for the annual, um, quantified self-conferences I always had like this workshop that was like how to ask the right question Mm. because you'd always have these people who had so much data and it was not on you know quite normal that people got their blood drawn every four to five weeks you know paid out of pocket they had like an obscene amount of data but they didn't really know what it all meant Uh. and for a lot of them they also didn't really have any purpose with it other than they liked data and they liked the idea of getting to know something yeah. But in the end of the day, if you're tracking like a hundred different things and you ask me, so what else should I track? My question will always be, why are you tracking and what's your problem? Like, mm-hmm. what are you trying to solve? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's uh, the epicenter of this whole thing is like you said earlier, like I would only want to track if I had a problem in order to solve that problem. And that's, you know, exactly what it is. 
it's it's a means to an end. It's not for the sake of tracking. So the quantified self movement, it's still a, it's still out there. I still love it dearly. It was family for a yeah. long time when we were perceived as being really fringe with what we do. Yeah. Luckily for us, the the world has kind of moved with us. And you know, when we originally started out, I remember, you know. When Stanford University had their um, Medicine X conference, the first year we had like a day of like a quantified self or self-tracking, like track the day before it started. And it was really out there. Like the doctors would look at you and kind of smile. And and then a few years later, you know, you came back and you were on stage and they came up and they're like, we really need more economists in this field. And you're like, wow, this is such a different tune. Um, But for the quantified self-movement, um, it 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 never really took off as such, and I don't think it was intended to either. I I, I think it, in my opinion, it was a success. Yeah. I think it changed the way we looked at the world. And if you think about it, any good movement, if you can actually make that happen, yeah. You, if, if you, you can are, see the validity of something, yeah. You know, yeah. even if it's because I'm, I'm sure there are some people who would who would disagree with my idea that that I only want to be tracked to sort of solve this problem that that it should be continuously tracked you know throughout my entire life there there might be some validity to that but that it also affects you know the the way we live too so it also depends on what are you tracking right so obviously because i've done this for a long time and you know people get to know you over time i get calls every single week mostly from larger more established companies that are now seeing that there would be a great either an addition to what they're doing or niche or whatever in this field. And they basically, you know, they're either doing, you know, stool testing or blood testing or some sort of testing. Mm-hmm. And now they would also just like to get some more data. Mm-hmm. And really, they don't necessarily know what they want. They just would like me to tell them how they could get people to give them more data. And my question always is, what are you giving them back? Yeah. And they're like, well, initially not so much, but like once we figure out what it all means, then we would be able to tell them all sorts of things. And I'm like, well, that's actually not really how it works because for anyone to do something, there has to be a motivation. Yeah. And if I'm just being told that maybe at the end of you doing this for the rest of your life, we can cut you off, you know, whatever, it's not going to happen. And it's also one of the reasons why I was so adamant early on that, I love the idea of preventative medicine and I think, you know, there's nothing more honorable in healthcare than Mm -hmm. preventative medicine. I'm just not a huge believer in preventative medicine. And people always, it it feels like I've just killed a puppy in front of them when I say that out loud. (laughs) But, but it's not that I don't think it works to, to prevent your health and do all the things that you could do. It's that I don't believe People are very good at that trade-off that is 20 years down the lane, you are potentially going to get cancer if you don't do this. People are very good at immediate things that are right in front of them. And I think that's why, you know, people are getting married or losing all their weight. Like all of a sudden, the 10 pounds that they couldn't lose for 10 years, like that dress you showed in front of them and like, boom, there they go. Wasn't the knowledge that wasn't there. It was the motivation that wasn't there. And, um... I think particularly in in this field, um, preventative versus reversing 
is a big thing because people don't want you saying you can reverse disease symptoms. But the fact is, it is possible. We see it all the time. Yeah. And it. And I think that's important. It's important for people to understand. I mean, I, th- I think we start getting in this in this mindset that when when it gets too far down the line, that's just it. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're right that the motivation sometimes is lacking at that moment. Yeah. Or, you know, the, 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 the habit or the behavioral, you know, habit or pattern or whatever is too ingrained. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be, I don't think, either. No, and I also think, like, it, it, it comes back to the signaling that we touched on earlier. It's like, you know, when you're a child, you sleep when you're tired, you eat when you're hungry, you, you know, hydrate when you need to. Mm-hmm. And then as we go through life we kind of stop listening to those signals or at least kind of put a lid on them. So at some because point, there, you there, start... there's just too much information a lot of times, you know, between your career and your, and your family. And, and it's easy to get sort of wrapped up in all of that stuff. And not that, not that it's too much. It's just that the priority has, has changed, I think, in the way that we've sort of... Totally. You know, <laughs> like your boss tells you to stay in the office till two, it will require six espressos. And it might not actually be the best thing for your body, but hey, it's a one-off. And then all of a sudden it might not be a one-off or it might be something else that you add on to that regime. And all of a sudden it's like you're yelling at your kids and life starts to spiral and, and it's just a lot of bad choices, but... It also is you not listening to your body. And I think that's probably one of the things that I'm the most fascinated by is that as we've gone through this work and really started peeling the onion, what we can see is what starts out as somebody who's healthy, who starts just feeling a little sluggish. Mm -hmm. They go to the doctor Mm -hmm. and the doctor says, it's seasonal allergies. You know, here's a prescription for Benadryl and off you go. And it puts like just enough of a plaster on on the or bandaid, I guess you call it in the U.S. <laughs> you put enough of a bandaid on that you don't feel whatever it was you were feeling yeah. before, and then you imagine that now the problem is over. Yeah. In my opinion, what happened there was the first mistake yeah. because you actually you had an underlying issue that you didn't treat. You just kind of you know subdued it and. The next thing that happens is that the body does not stop signaling. It just turns up the volume. So at some point in that equation, you now, you know, maybe are starting to get other drugs, immunosuppressants, and the louder the signal gets, the more drugs you add on to it. Because as we said earlier, complex problems require complex solutions. So here you are. Now you're on a Molo cocktail of drugs and the body starts yelling. And it sounds weird to talk about flares in that yeah, mannerisms, but, but it kind of makes <clears throat> sense that that's, that's the nature of these. And what we can see is actually that by, by, by identifying, you know, a scratchy throat or a runny nose or just very plain body signals, yeah. we can actually decipher what the triggers are. Yeah. So people always imagine that if somebody comes in with lupus, that, you know, the screaming from putting a bedsheet over your body is the signal that we're really looking for. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we're looking for much more subtle things that are happening to continuous. And the reason we are looking at it that way is because that's how we, f- we kind of make the identification. And then we could have, we could have identified them earlier, probably like we'll say something like the, the, uh, 
the office worker who's throwing down a lot of fast food espresso when they when they need to you know burn the midnight oil whatever it is they they end up with indigestion and they throw tums in and and that kind of keeps the screaming from being too loud right and and that can continue some people can push that for a really long period of time and that's where years I, and years you know yeah, decades yeah that's and that's usually i think what starts to mount these problems that seem like they're 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 came overnight to, yeah or, or that like that came overnight but that that they also seem like yeah. they can't they can't reverse them yeah i always like one of the first screenings that i do is always you know kind of like most people i send away just because they don't actually need me but it's like there's a lot of overworked people in New York City that come and they have sleep problems. Yeah. But it takes like three questions to identify that they don't have a sleep problem, they have a go-to-bed problem. It's a very different animal. Yeah. <laughs> or people wake up, you know, between 1.30 and 2.30 in the morning and it's because they have undigested food in their stomachs mm-hmm. because they ate at 10 and they went to bed, you know, a yeah. few hours later. So there's like all these things that we do but but it's become so natural to us to do them in that way that we don't even question them and then it becomes oh i have this horrible sleep problem but in reality you have a habit that leads to something that simulates a sleep problem but if you ask that same person on a day where you had your last meal at six o'clock and you know you're not overworked and whatever and you went to bed would you be able to fall asleep like yeah Yeah. and would you wake up all night no. Like, okay, so you actually can go to bed, fall asleep, and sleep for eight hours. Sure. Like, okay, that's all we needed to know. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> but, it's, but it's interesting because it's all in the framing, right? Yeah. So how do you, how do you now with, with, with like, it, it sounds like it's, you're, become, you're becoming the interest of, of research, like the, this methodology. So for us, what it is is, and I think for anyone you know, similarly to what I said about the people who write books because they want to spread the, 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 the solution that they found that worked for themselves. Uh, I was sick for many years. I wasted my 20s on, you know, running a marathon with a backpack. And once you can put that backpack down yeah. and have a completely different quality of life with the ramification that it has that you didn't have, you know, an... an an average life, you know, in, in the, in the years where a lot of formation also happens, I think it became extremely important for me to ensure that if we can make changes, and I'm fully aware that a Danish girl from a small city in Jutland, Denmark, is not going to come to the U.S. and change healthcare overnight. Right. But if we can put a ding in it, we, if we can show that there's a way to change this and, and make enough proof that that's possible um then i think i've succeeded in in my journey do do you think there's a place for you in this in the system of of care at this point like i mean i'm I'm thinking of the bigger systems in the u.s which are medicare medicaid and then the the larger health systems oh totally is 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 there how how do they i mean the 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 big word now is integrative right how do do they integrate this this in when it's not been part of their methodology at this point or how how are you helping to like get that happening so we 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 do trials on two different levels so Mm -hmm. one level is actually 
you know, clinical study with hospitals to prove that it's possible to reverse disease symptoms through these lifestyle and dietary interventions. Mm -hmm. And then the other set of trials is payer trials. And the payer trials is really there to prove that by implementing the interventions, you are able to reduce cost. So the long-term idea is that an expensive Medicaid patient will be able to get on our program. So we could be just a boutique-style yeah. thing that made all of our money on people who live on the Upper East Side and have no problem right, paying right. three grand exactly. for, for a program. But what we've seen is, so every year we do a beta test in Q1, and obviously when you're giving away something for free, you you kind of have morals around who you give it to. So we chose to have it be low-wealth individuals on the East Coast, and we saw that as much as we could create results for the people able to pay, um, it was like out of this world how we could create results for this part of the population who'd never really had any yeah. help. Yeah. So for us, it became very important to find a way to get this care to this very vulnerable part of the population. And the only way to get it to them is by figuring out how do you get to the people who pay for their care. Yeah. So Medicaid and insurance and so on is the only way to get to them. Gotcha. And that's kind of why we're doing payer trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our long-term model is 100% at risk, which means we will take patients from an insurer, we will pay for the intervention, wow. and then we will get a, a reimbursement of the savings on that patient. And 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 being the economist, that's that's the way the way you're approaching everyone at yeah. this point, right? That's, this is that's, this that's, our model. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. And and also you have you know today you have a lot of preventative programs, which is great. But as the economist, if if you're reversing an actual cost, it's much easier to get somebody to pay for it versus preventing a cost that might occur in the future. I, and I, that's, that, that's, the, that's the brilliant part, I think. Yeah. Be, be, and, and, and partly because of the belief system, I, I think, too. And, and I, I, I struggle with this sometimes with my, because I have a, a practice where, for the most part, people are paying out of pocket to come see me. And I've tried to keep my prices in line in a way that I can hit as much of population as I can. But that being said, that there's still a, a ton of people who I think would benefit from this kind of care you know the thing the thing about the kind of care that I think I end up providing is I'm in a way more of an educator and a touchstone for people in terms of like long term entrance way you know health because I end up working from sometimes newborns <laughs> to pediatrics so I get the whole family I see I see grandma because she's there and she's like oh this neck thing hasn't been going away and so then you know but but the great thing is you know I really get to see a lot within it within a family and within a group and i and i am able to sort of guide them but that's a different kind of i mean i i don't know if that's necessarily preventative care it is really just in a, in a way it is right right it is but but i think it's exactly what you're providing too yeah. that's what i mean that's what i'm relating it to it's yeah. it's it's very similar in in my in my situation i haven't i don't have the, i don't have the economist background to explain to them how i'm going to save that money for them long term yeah. but but i've seen it i mean i've been doing this for 20 years and i have to say the people that i've been seeing for you know close to 20 years at this point are in amazing health yeah. and a, a lot of it is that is that awareness piece they're just kind of 
you know, tapping in all the time, checking in. And I also have a network of people that when I see something come up with them, I know them very well. And I can say, maybe you should, maybe you should talk to this person. Yeah. They'll, they'll... It's, it, it reminds me of what a good doctor was in like the 50s. Mm. Like mm-hmm. my grandfather, he didn't, he didn't talk about his doctor like it was somebody that he went and got an appointment to. We talked about him like he was family. Right. Yeah. Because in a sense, he was. He knew all his brothers, he knew his parents, his grandparents. So in a way, you already had the metrics that we are now collecting on people. Because for a Danish person to go to a doctor in LA and think they know anything about you is crazy. But it's not so crazy that somebody who has eight siblings and whose doctor has seen, you know, three generations before right. you to look at you and go, With similar orthopedic oh, well, issue. you actually should be doing this. Yeah. Like, because he already kind of knows them. Yeah. Yeah. The sociodemographic already tells him something about the diet. The yeah. genomics kind of piece comes from, oh, your granddad had this operation and your dad did too. So yeah. it's probably along those lines. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we are, having this globalization there's some of the the local stuff that kind of just got missing in the equation and uh, i i think we are returning to some of those things yeah. nowadays i think um there's this beautiful map of farmers markets across the US that if you look at like functional medicine it it almost looks like farmers markets like preceded functional medicine and now functional medicine or integrated medicine <laughs> yeah. is kind of like following that yep. path um so i think there is a return to local that is because we've almost come too far away from ourselves yeah. in 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 a weird way um but it's 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 interesting to see w- where we are and how we're going to get from where we are to to the next place, right? Well, and and working with with Dr. Aaron, like the uh, who's who's younger, he's uh, he's fourteen years, thirteen years younger than me, but you know he's had a pretty rich career even at this point already, especially like getting into health tech. But I I, I think where 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 I and I and I've seen this with some younger doctors at this point now that he was looking at my career and, and, and I think kind of in awe of one of the first things he said to me is you get to spend 60 minutes with someone, you know, like, it's like everybody's dream, you know, it's, it's, and, and the, the kind of information that you get from those 60 minutes on an, in an ongoing way is, is really the, the, the part that becomes the value over yeah. time, I think. But I think there's, I think there's, there's a need to, to find a way on, on their parts so that, that, that they can actually have that kind of uh, lifestyle within their career too, because it's just like so fast paced. They're, they're seeing, you know, 40 to 80 patients sometimes in a day. Yeah. It's just, it's just too much to really, really, you know, look, look at all this stuff. But I think that's also why we're seeing the shift into functional medicine. Yeah. So just, just for the listeners, it's so functional medicine is identified as instead of, you know, prescribing medications, you try and get to the root cause of what is wrong. And typically a practice who is, is practicing functional medicine will see you between 60 and 90 minutes the first visit and then, you know, 30 to 45 minutes on every visit after. So it really is more about getting to know you yeah. and it's a very different model, but um, I think it has a lot of legs. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I see 
it, it's 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 another form of education too in terms of in terms of what what could be the potential of using nutrient you know it, and it, again it's we, we could call this preventative medicine but it just should be our medicine it's just yeah. that this is this is what we run on yeah no there's definitely it's 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 so interesting how we fuel right and yeah. refuel and uh and we have this idea that it is as simple as when you're, you know, either you're regular or you're diesel. But it's not really how <laughs> yeah. it works, right? And and we can even feel it within ourselves that, you know, I remember when I at some point started like feeling a little bit like I I, I didn't I didn't actually think I had arthritis or something, but I just kind of started to feel my knees and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm probably running too much. So I started, you know, decreasing my running and I started all these different things. And then I sat next to a physiotherapist at a dinner and he goes, how old are you? And I was like, why? He goes, it's just that when women get to like late 30s, you kind of stop producing um, what kind of helps break down gluten. So you could actually have the knee pain just from gluten. And I was like, really? So I went home, cut out gluten, and sure enough, it wasn't the running. But it was like this notion that there's actually certain processes in your body over time. So it's not like if you at 23 find the perfect formula that you're going to be sustaining yourself for the next 50 years. It will, you know, ebb and flow and there'll be things that are working really well for a few years. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, no more. Or you get pregnant and then post-pregnancy, it's just a completely different ballgame. And I think it's natural and it makes sense. But it's it's why it's so confusing, and it's why we haven't gotten a grasp on it yet. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. And the, and the endocrine system is just a complicated thing, yeah. and and it's evolving and changing as we age. And in some ways, it's it's doing its job for yeah. us. You know, we're just not listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so interesting because I always laugh about the fact. So in Denmark, when you take your driver's license, a part of the the driving test is that they open the hood of the car and they make you explain how does a car Mm, work. Yeah. And I always thought, well, now I know how a car works, but I still don't know how my body works. Because I remember Alejandro Junger in his book Clean lines out like 12 hours between your last meal and your first meal. And I was like shocked. Why didn't nobody tell us this? Like that there is... You know, the moment you put something in your mouth, there's eight hours of metabolizing and there's four hours of detoxification. And you have the most sophisticated system in the world called the body doing this free of charge. It's just a matter of that piece of information just never really reached anyone. (laughs) And you're kind of like, wow, if, if we can find things like that, it's it's almost ridiculous that there isn't a training manual that kids in schools aren't told your body works like this so you know if you have you know these things happen you you go buy this book Um, yeah i I agree and i I think there are some some very basic things that that kids can learn you know i've I've, uh, one of the things i'm going to start doing with the podcast is doing some interviews with my son you can can listen i've got one up already (laughs) but 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 he's he's almost 14 and he's he's a pretty aware kid as far as you know what he wants to put into his body or how he feels and he's very good about his sort of like the rhythmic part of his day he's he's like 6 6:30 he's up ready to go and he's he's down pretty easily but he's also he's got a really good pacing about like how he's eating how much he's eating he just never eats a, a lot of food 
And, you know, I think some of it is just the way that we've done things unknowingly because we've just kind of... You, you, of course, you model what you <laughs> yeah. see, right? But but it, but there was a point in my life in which I, I made some very, you know, around the time that I was having chronic pain, where I made some very distinct decisions based on what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, some of, it, some of it was really probably in a way some early functional medicine models. But, I mean, even that is just old medicine yeah. in a way, too. So, and And I think learning how the body detoxes is one of those things that I should probably have someone come do an, another podcast on on just that because exactly. I think it's an in- incredible tool that you can use that is very simple and uh, and totally. free. And also the the thing is detoxification again is a, is like you're saying you have to have somebody come and actually do a whole podcast on it because one of the biggest problems is that people go straight from junk to detox. Mm-hmm. And that's worse than not doing the detox in the first place. Yeah. Because if you haven't pre-detoxed your body, you're going to have so much toxins going straight into your bloodstream that it would actually have been better not doing it in the first yeah. place. Yeah. And and that's where it gets complicated, right? Because what is a junky diet? And like, what is a pre-detox? And like, yeah. how do we, how do we take this from there to the next place? Yeah. And, and, and even the idea that I, I think there's, there's, there's more information out there about this now. I think in the past we thought of fasting as something that needed to go on for like multiple days yeah. rather than just the way that you pace your day yeah. in terms of, you know, allowing for that processing to go on in your body so that you're not just kind of compounding one thing after another that your body's going to have to process. It's, it's a very simple way of, of looking at this. And again, I think there are, there are experts out there. I'm certainly not one of them about this process, but I play with it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I, I, I definitely, I, I'm a big believer in fasting. I'm not a big believer in, you know, 72 hours on water. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, you know, the, the different kinds of fasting, intermittent fasting, like yeah. in, in the UK, they have these five, two, and like this yeah. different ways yeah. of people doing it. Uh, but we're seeing particularly with cancer, the ketogenic diets, it's, it's, it's amazing what results that you yeah. can create. Um, and in many ways, a lot of these things come down to the basics is you want to reduce inflammation and you want to boost your immune system. And it doesn't really matter what your problem is if it involves those two. So, so if, if someone wants to get in contact with, with you, with my me, to, to start kind of just to find out at first if, if they're even the right type of person. Uh, what, do you, what do you recommend they do? How do they contact you? So typically people send us an email through our website. Okay. They go to myme.com and send an email. And then even and though... M-Y-M-E-E.com? Yes. Okay. Um, and I think um, more often than not, I'm so curious that I end up calling people the minute something pops in. And of course, I can't always do that. And then one of the health coaches will call people. Yeah. But we basically, You're very responsive, by the yeah. way. What <laughs> I noticed about you? I, you know, it's when you do something you love. It's kind yeah, of like yeah, you, you, you want to be able to. Um, and and I have a lot of conversations with people who don't end up being customers of mm-hmm. ours, but I feel it's a part of it, right? It's like some people might not be ready for that step right now with us, mm-hmm. but they might have planted a seed or two so that when they go on and do the next things that they do in life all of a sudden they, you know, get to a place where they start working with somebody else and, and only because we had that conversation right. did, 
did they get there? And I think it's an important part of of being in this space of healthcare is also why it's been so fascinating having the conversations that you and me have had off yeah. the, the the microphone is basically every time you take different skill sets in this space and have them cross, we all learn something. Yeah. And for somebody who is still in that space of super sick or super confused and confounding mm -hmm. or whatever that is, they know nothing. So it almost doesn't matter if you show them a bit of compassion and show them that you can relate yeah. and then tell them your story or a story of somebody who is in a like-minded situation to yeah. them. Yeah. That alone will give them a boost into the direction of I can reclaim the power over my own body. And I think in the end of the day, we touched on it earlier, that control piece is the biggest thing. Yeah. If that's the only thing you can give people, then bottle it up and give it to everybody because yeah. it is where the, the, the mind shift ends up having a solution, you know, because all of a sudden you cannot not do something. Right. And are, are there any other resources like you for any other conditions that you're aware of? Um, I know a lot of um, companies that do this in um, preventative space, like so type 2 diabetes, okay. hypertension. Mm -hmm. um, I don't today have anywhere I could send people with the particulars of what we necessarily do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's still fringe. Um, I know a lot of companies that are looking into it. I know a lot of companies that are doing trials. So my guess is in, in the next couple of years, we'll see a lot of companies like ours out there. Yeah. So what we do is, is now, actually, it has a name. It's called Digital Therapeutics. Mm -hmm. And it's this notion that we can actually, with technology solutions, uh, replace drugs. Um, and it's still unclear to the world, where does that line go? What can we actually alleviate and what can we not and i think the trials and and the different companies entering the space and the different diagnostics entering the space is is going to be helping validify yeah. that because i can imagine the data that you're going to gather through this it's going to be hard to deny that's the beauty is yeah. we really uh, one of the doctors that we're working with on another lupus trial is um is originally eastern trained and then is now practicing western medicine And when I originally called him, I said, we're basically just doing what you've always done. And he smiled and he's like, <laughs> what do you mean? And I said, in so many ways, it is the packaging of old medicine and then a new delivery. Yeah. Um, and I think um, people are always like, oh, you know, you should really hurry up and get this to market because you're like, you know, early mover and all that. And I'm like... That's really not what this is about. And if you only and, knew how much work this took to like put together. But also, <laughs> like even even besides that, I wish that there was 10 other companies doing what we're yeah, doing. Absolutely. Because we see people come to us who've spent 10 years in a slump yeah. who all of a sudden are able to live full, rich lives. Yeah. And we can't deal like with the amount of sick people out there. Yeah. And the more people that come to market, the more understandings we get the better yeah. like yeah. Um, there's terry walls who does the walls protocol of reversing um ms mm -hmm. um there is um oh I'm blanking on his name um wow 
late night. Um, no, but there is um, there is people out there that are doing similar things. So I don't know why I just told you that there was nobody yeah. because there is actually people. Well, with, they're with, not and, necessarily and doing it in the way that we're doing yeah. it, but they're training physicians in a certain protocol to reverse certain diseases. Gotcha. And, and if there's anything that comes up later on, we can throw this up on the website yeah. and so that people have the resource. But yeah. That sounds good, and I and I would love you know as you guys move along here, maybe we do a we do a follow up to this because I feel like there's just like an endless and 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 I and I I I just want to say I I'm, have so much respect for the work that you're doing right now. That's why Thank I wanted so to much. have you on here, and I, I I'm just excited to see where this goes. I think I think the beautiful thing about this is that at least up until now, it just keeps. The, the needle for where we are going just keeps moving. Like we keep learning more. So initially we thought, well, we have these cases of N of 1 and we're learning so much about the individual. But now we're starting to understand that, hey, what we're learning in this N of 1, we can actually duplicate. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden we might not actually understand what it means. And it might take a decade before we understand why it is happening. Yeah. But by observing and replicating it, yeah. we're able to gain an understanding. So I think where, where, where we really see this moving is, you know, like in the, in the old days when somebody should explain you how the brain worked, they would say, oh, there's neurons firing and, you know, like all these different things. It was like mapping of the brain. Yeah. But it really wasn't until you had cognitive psychology, like behavioral cognitive psychology, that you started to have like that, you know, merge of these two different things. And all of a sudden we started to really understand how does the brain work. Yeah. In health, we've been very focused on mapping it out, like DNA, genomics, microbiomes, like all these different things, metabolons. And it's all great. And it's a lot of detailed information mm -hmm. that tells us very little. Yeah. We don't understand what we're looking at. So if we then top down could come with the behavioral component and say, we don't know why, but when you do X, Y, yeah. this is the result. Then we start knowing where to look for this. And I think it's in that space where it becomes really interesting. And that's also why, whether it's direct competition or diagnostic companies or blood companies, or all these different things, the more conversations we have, the better. And yeah. I think that's when it becomes um, a, a journey with, you know, not necessarily a known end target. Um, but I think in the years to come that we will see that this kind of data will, will give us insights that will completely change the way we look at medicine and look at, at the body as a closed circuit system. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. I'm super excited too. Well, thanks so much for doing this. No, of course. My pleasure. All right. We'll Thank talk you. soon. Meta Dyerberg, folks. So much to take away from this conversation. I feel like she's taken her experience and her skill set and is really delivering an amazing product and service. And the decision to focus on lupus for the moment, especially considering the marginalized group it tends to affect, a group who too often does not have access to quality care and in such a specialized way. And it's brilliant that she's figured out how to get paid for this work as well. I think this could be the future of care coverage. She also hit on a couple of big themes that keep coming up in this exploration of what health is on the podcast. One is that food is really the only medicine. Well, I shouldn't even call it medicine. It's, it is our source. We have heard a thousand times that we are what we eat, but it doesn't always sink in. Food and water are our life force. And add love to the formula, of course. 
Pharmaceuticals do not make us more well. They can only slow the rapid decline in, in the case of disease at best, and their use is often coupled with complications. And finally, a thought that has stuck with me since the conversation is that health is, as Meta puts it, when you don't have to worry about it through every corner of your day. It's its own kind of freedom. We don't always get to be completely free of discomfort or disease. But when we are well enough, these challenges don't occupy our mind space or overly influence what we do with our days. Health is a precious commodity. Thanks again to Meta for taking the time to meet with me for this conversation. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. My email is jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.